Um, I don't know if any of you guys are like this. I, I do this, Courtney and I do this about once a year where we take a little time to sit back and go, hey, how are we doing? How are you doing? How am I doing? How did we do this year? I don't know if you ever have any evaluations like that. Uh, and that's like a real question we need to ask because sometimes it takes a year for us to go, actually, <laughs> not great. I mean, so a year for us, is that, that's a pretty good frequency. We don't do it much more than that, but once a year, and actually next week is the week that we do that. Uh, so years go by pretty quickly, and we just have to kind of go, how are we? How are you? How am I? How are the kids? Do we even know how the kids are? That kind of stuff. And it really is good for us. It's good for us both in our families or good for us in our walks with the Lord or just good for us in wherever God has us to just stop back and reflect to go, what, what's happened? How am I doing? We don't often do those inventories until almost it's too late. We don't do these inventories until it's taken way too long, and now it's been 10 years, and you haven't liked your spouse for 10 years, and now you're talking about it. Much easier if you have that conversation at like the six-month mark rather than the 120-month mark. But that's often what we do, is we just don't stop and consider. We're about to hit, after Father's Day, a span of the 10th plague and the Passover and the reflection and how to consider Because God sets up both the 10th plague, which we'll be talking about at the end of the month, and the festivals and memorials that go around the exodus and God saving his people from the Egyptians. He wants them to reflect. As we've been going through the plagues before that, we've been taking them three at a time. And the reason we do three at a time is because they're kind of set up similarly. The first three, the second three, the third three. Uh, Plagues one, four, and seven all start in the morning. Plagues three, six, and nine all come come along suddenly. In the first three, the magicians are present. And the next three, they show up one time as a joke. And so we just have different things that you can see as you do three at a time. But we're going to be in the last cycle And you might be thinking to yourself by now, and this would be appropriate if you are, I get it, right? The plagues are serious business, and you don't want to mess with God. Like, that would be a really, if if that was the lesson you learned over the past month, A+. Don't mess with God. Don't mess with God's people. Don't do that. It doesn't go well for you. If If that's where we land, I'm okay with that. And very often, if you're doing even sermons on the plagues, I mean, when I was setting this up, I was like, man, we're going to have really five plague sermons? Bum, bum, Like, that's not the most encouraging way to spend your Sunday morning, I know. Like, you're not sitting around going, yay, death and destruction. But today, as we get to these last three before the final, seven, eight, and nine, thought it would be good if we just kind of reflected where have we been and what do we see and what does this remind us of because again each one of these is showing God's superiority each one of these is demonstrating that the false gods of Egypt can, don't stand a chance each one of these show God's sovereignty last week we spoke about that more specifically because you, you see both in God's protection of Egypt or protection of Israel and the hardening of Pharaoh 
in Egypt, you see God's work in bringing about his ends. And today, we want to just look at these and go, what can we learn from these last three before we get to that tenth plague? What can we learn? What do we see? As one more pass through. The the ideas will be similar as we've seen before, but each time you go through the three, there's a different kind of nuance. Remember in those first three, there were some statements about even the magicians going, this is the finger of God. And we looked at the book of Philippians and said, what does the apostle Paul say? But at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, Some do it while in relationship with him and some will make that profession while not in relationship with him, but that profession will be made. And then last week, as we see just the the sovereign power of God to bring about his ends and really the comfort that that should give us to know that that God is working something and that not only is he working something, but he is deeply invested in the sending of the Son into this world to die for our sins. And then in these, we're going to see specifically in the ninth plague a pretty serious confrontation with the way Egypt lives life with the darkness that covers the land. So what I'm going to do today is go through the passage that the pro presenter uh, booth guys were laughing at me because they're like, you have so many slides today. I'm really not a big slide guy. I don't like to have lots and lots of slides, so I have to apologize in advance because they can't really take a moment off. Because the, the, just the verses are longer, and there's lots and lots of sentences. But what we're going to do is we're going to run through the passage together and just stop along the way and go, hey, consider that, and consider that, and look at what's going on here. That's how we'll approach it today. So first, the passage being a bit longer, we will march on through it, and we're going to start in the seventh plague which if you have a Bible that has kind of the, the, hot, the, the headers, it'll be about hail. Now, you might be thinking, hail, that's a plague, but we live in Texas, and we get it. And one minute of hail can cost millions of dollars of damage. Insurance companies paying through the nose. In a year like this, where we have a freeze and hail, it's not looking good for insurance companies. They're not necessarily sitting with, you know, flush with cash. In fact, and this is a little nerdy thing for me, but State Farm actually put out the top five states with hail claims, and look at number one. Right? We do it bigger and better in Texas. $474 million in hail damage claims in 2020. Hail. We don't think necessarily a lot about it because it's such a, really, over the course of your life, it is but a minute or two. That's it. And you kind of move on. And back in April, we had hail, and we're still dealing with it. But you recognize that even but for a moment, it can cause significant damage. So Exodus chapter 9, starting in verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning. Plagues 1, 4, and 7 all are announced in the morning. Present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, 
Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. This is the, the same thing they continue to say. Let them go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you, yourself, and on your servants and your people so that you may know there is none like me in all the earth. And again we see this recurring motivation so that you will know that there is none like me. So that you will recognize God's power and God's strength, even though it does not result in repentance. But recognizing God's power also means that there is more that he could do. He is all-powerful. All-powerful. And he says this in verse 15. For by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. We spoke about this some last week, that even the Apostle Paul recognizes Apostle Paul is coming, right, 1,500 years later. He is recognizing that in this statement of the Lord is a statement of his power, that God raises Pharaoh up to demonstrate his power with a goal, and don't lose this, of his name being proclaimed in all the earth. With his name being proclaimed in all the earth. And so, after the wilderness wanderings, right, 40 years from this point, after that happens and a new generation is about to enter into the land that God had promised, even to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, even as that is going on, they meet someone named Rahab in Jericho, and she says, I've heard of your God. I've heard of your God and what has happened. And so, essentially, she's like, I'm not going to, whatever you need, you need shelter, you got it. You need me to send, the, you know, send my people in the wrong direction so you can escape, you got it. Because I have heard, we've heard of what's gone on. We know of your God. Interesting there, interesting there is, I mean, so often modern church life is about your pastor, Oh, you go to so-and-so's church, or who's the pastor there, or do you like how they teach, or what about that, or I've heard about you, or I've heard about your pastor, I've heard about that church. But what do, what do people respond to the Hebrews with? No, I've heard of your God. That's a much more significant statement to make than, oh, yeah, I saw your live stream. Uh, I saw, saw your pastor. That sermon was, like, it doesn't matter. I've heard of your God, and that is his aim. So that my name could be proclaimed in all the earth. Not Hans's name, not Rock's name, not John's name, not Matt's name, not Johnny's name, not your name, not my name, not our name, but the Lord's name might be proclaimed. He's moving in power so that people will know him. <clears throat> God's plans are eternal. And while this moment, Exodus 9, 15, and 16, happens at a specific time, in a specific place, in a specific country, 
said by specific people, what are we doing today in 2021 but proclaiming the power of God because of what he has done so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. And throughout this entire process, we have seen Pharaoh, a man who is supposed to be like God, little g God, to his people. Pharaoh has looked like a joke. He had a moment, remember the moment where he was able to divide nation and leader? Just for a moment, he was able to kind of function in such a way that he gave the Israelites hard labor, and they were frustrated with Moses because Moses came on the scene and said, let my people go, and, and they, he didn't. He made their lives harder. And everyone's getting mad at Moses and Aaron because they had not freed them. So there was that moment where you had this momentary success of Pharaoh. And ever since then, it has not gone well. Pharaoh sometimes even thinks he has the upper hand But against the Lord, he does not stand a chance. In verses 15 and 16, tell us as much. For by now, I could have crushed you. But I haven't. And even that's his mercy. Verse 17, you are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Verse 18, behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as has never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Therefore, go send or get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. So they're even warned. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. Now this is interesting Verse 20, and this is, this is not uncommon. Whoever fears this goes, but whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Now, verse 20 gives us unique language. Whoever feared the word of the Lord, whoever, whoever feared what was spoken, it doesn't say whoever feared the Lord. There's a difference there. It's, it's the difference between when you are planning your day and you check the weather report and you go, it looks like it's going to rain. And you adjust how your day might go because you think it's going to rain. Well, you heed the word of the meteorologist. You don't trust the meteorologist for your salvation. So there were some who had seen enough and knowing, okay, this is, this is the seventh time. So we're going to go ahead, just in case, just in case this happens, we're going to go ahead and get everybody inside. And yet there were some who said, no, it doesn't matter. Whoever feared the word of the Lord, what was spoken by God, responded to it. But there still wasn't the depth of the fear of the Lord himself. And that's the difference difference for you, it's a difference for me. Right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Beginning of knowledge. Verse 22. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven 
so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down like lightning to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been seen in the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field, only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. And again, what do we see but God's protection? God protects them from judgment. He protects them from the judgment that's coming on Egypt because the Israelites, the Hebrews, are not the Egyptians. They are God's chosen people. And God is protecting them as his chosen people. Not because of their righteousness. Not because they are awesome. In fact, they demonstrate over the next 40 years that they are far from it. Just like you and just like me. We don't really seem... To listen, this, I bet if I polled you right now and I said, hey, what kind of sins do you struggle with? And I asked you 10 years ago, you would say the same thing. It would just be a different manifestation. You know, well, I do that a little less, and I would do a happy dance, because a little less is great. But we struggle with unbelief. Even though God has chosen us, God has saved us, God has covered us, that we stand not condemned, we still run back to those sins. We still often live as if God's promises aren't true. We doubt. We kind of wonder if, we're like, I know he says this, but just in case it's not true, I need something to fall back on. We still live like this. And yet, what does God do? He still protects us. He still preserves us. He still cares for us. And it's so important for us in this to recognize that God's protection of Goshen, where his people are, or his people in Goshen, is not because his people are phenomenal. I think sometimes if we just casually read this, we might go, oh, well, of course they're protected because they're the Israelites. But we've read before in the psalm, like they're recognized, even Abraham, long before this, was recognized as coming from a pagan family. The Israelites have been in a land of polytheistic idol worshipers. Do you think that doesn't affect them? You think that doesn't affect them? And you live here in America. Do you think that doesn't affect you? Do you think that materialism doesn't affect you? Honestly, because it does. I mean, everyone around you is telling you to get stuff, buy stuff, have stuff, have more. Don't settle for one when you can have two. Don't settle for good when you can have better. So you don't think that that affects us? No, the, the culture in which we are a part of does affect us. That's why we have to abide by what we see in Scripture because it's going to at least, it's like, it's like this penetrating light into our hearts to remind us that there's a better way. <clears throat> so Israel is, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to have to slam this coffee here in a second. Israel is protected because they belong to the Lord. 
not because they're awesome. And that's important for us to remember. Hail everywhere. We were caught, you guys, back in April, were any of you caught in the hailstorm? It lasted really 60 seconds. We were driving back from a baseball practice. That was it. I had one of my kids. Courtney was at another one. We were driving back, and you see it, and you start to see, like, you, know, you hear a noise, and you're, it's hail hitting your car. And these weren't small, you know. These were, you know, quarter-sized pieces of hail. Hits your car, and you're like, well, what do I do now? Like, I, I can't find shelter. So, you, you know, I, I have a kid, and you know, it's kind of cool because it's a weather event, and then it's also not kind of cool because you're thinking, if my car gets totaled, because it's not worth any claim, that's not cool either. So you pull over and you park, and now I have a, a child crying in the back of the car because, like, I'm just like, well, I just want to pull over because I want to be driving in hail, which is not fun. And that was a minute of my life that I will not forget because I had never been caught in a hailstorm in the car. But there I was, Courtney was too, and our cars lived to tell the story. You got to kind of get it in the light and turn your head a certain way and you go, oh, look at that. Looks like a golf ball. point is it affects everything it hits everything and this was much bigger and more significant than even that moment verse 27 so pharaoh sent and called moses and aaron and said to them this time i've sinned this time this time i have sinned the lord is in the right i and my people are in the wrong and you'll see this plague cycle and the appearance of contrition but it's always short-lived it's always short-lived And Moses is catching on. Now you hear stories that even Jesus tells about like the parable of the sower and the different kinds of things that pop up, the different kinds of soils that that you might be planting in. And some get planted and they have no root and they shrivel up and die. And some get caught up with the cares of the world, right? So just because we see this moment in verse 27 of Pharaoh going, "Ah, I made a mistake, I made a mistake, and we all have made a mistake, and, and that's it. We know where this is headed because the Lord has said where it's headed. He's not going to listen. He's not going to obey. It's going to cost him his firstborn. Like that promise or essentially that, that prophecy was given by the Lord to Pharaoh. Like Israel's my firstborn. If you don't let him go, I'm taking your firstborn. That, that was already spoken. So what does he say? Plead with the Lord. For there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, as soon as I go out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease. There will be no more hail so that you may know the earth is the Lord's. What does that mean? That he brings hail, he stops hail. He brings rain, he stops rain. He brings thunder, he stops thunder. It is his because it is under his control. So I'll go out and I'll pray and it'll stop so that you'll know this earth is his. Well, so much of just ancient Near Eastern, Egyptian idol worship revolved around getting the gods to do things on the earth. Bring rain. It always revolved around their crops and their harvest. Bring rain. Bring this. Bring that. Right? Bring fertility both to our people and to our land. We need to have a good harvest. We need it to now stop raining. All their worship revolved around their lifestyle. Which, in a sense, required, demanded that the earth work in a certain way. But no one, no one is able to make it happen like that. What does Moses say? So that you'll know the earth is the Lord's. 
And then listen to how you know he's caught on. But as for you and your servants, I know that you don't fear the Lord God. Here's the difference between fearing the Lord or fearing the consequences. I know you don't fear the Lord. It's not the same thing just to go, ooh, gosh, this seems serious. And I turn from my sin and worship you. Two very different things. I'm sure there are people in churches every Sunday all throughout the world, in many parts of the world, who don't know the Lord Jesus, who hear something that's true in his word and go, that would be a good idea. That would be helpful. And you know what? It is true that what you see in Scripture can help somebody who doesn't know the Lord live a better life. But just because they hear something and do it doesn't mean they're saved. Just because they like what is written and it makes sense to them, that's not saving. Faith is saving. So if you hear something in Scripture about just being honest and in, in, in your communication and owning your mistakes and apologizing, and you go, it should be good to apologize. Of course it's good to apologize. It doesn't save you. It doesn't save you. And we have to recognize that difference. Knowing of God and knowing God are two totally different things. Now, I like verses 31 and 32. The flax and the barley were struck down. For the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud. They were about to be harvested. But the wheat and the emmer, that's what your says, were not struck down. For they are late in coming up. This detail is fun because the flax and the barley were ready to be harvested. And were being harvested. And wheat and emmer, or your translation might say spelt. We're not there yet. So they'd bounce back. They might have been knocked over. They might have been a little damaged, but they'll come back when the hail's gone. It's like your grass, when your grass kind of goes dormant because the sun's been on it too long, but once you water it, it's kind of back up. So the same thing's happening there. And I love this. I was actually reading a commentary about this. And you kind of go, why is this detail in there? Like, that detail could have been left out, and I wouldn't have been concerned, but... The point they were saying was, to a culture and a people who live their lives based on farming, they would be incredibly curious which plants were bothered, which plants were harmed, and why they were. Right? It was, it's almost like this historical footnote put into the passage so that somebody would go, well, wait a minute. Wheat and emmer, they're not going to be destroyed yet because it's not ready. And it's like the passage even just kind of puts that there. Well, they weren't totally destroyed because it wasn't, it wasn't time for them to come up yet. And you just have that little moment in the passage where God is providing a detail to the curious agrarian wondering if this happened the way that the passage says. Because they go, well, those, those plants should be able to come back. And so there it is. So for us, we might pass right over it. We just kind of go, okay, moving on along, right? I'm, I don't plant stuff unless it's in my garden. But these people would care. So Moses went out, verse 33, he went out from the city and stretched out his hands to the Lord and the thunder and the hail ceased and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But what do you know? But when Pharaoh saw the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people of Israel go. 
just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. So, so it's going as expected. It's going as expected. With this plague, we see the destruction that has come throughout the land. We see some who have responded, at least to the warning, and said, let's get our people inside. We see some who did not, and they died. That's just a passing note. But the people who didn't listen and stayed outside and didn't think this was a big deal, they died. The people who didn't bring their cattle in, their cattle died. Because they didn't listen to the warning. But there's still some land, there's still some wheat, there's still some emmer, but not after plague eight. He's like, if you thought the hail was bad, wait for the locusts. And what you're going to see in this plague, just be looking for it, I'll, I'll point it out of course, but be looking for it, is that whatever was happening was actually prepared before it was happening. There were all these locusts somewhere that the Lord blew in, and then they all blew out. So it wasn't like they, like, like they had to be somewhere. And that's what's really cool is that the Lord is working plague eight before it actually happens. Before it happens. Verse, uh, verse one of chapter 10. The Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh for I've hardened his heart and the heart of his servants that I may show the signs of mine among them. Remember the interplay between God's work and what's happening with Pharaoh as both these statements are happening. And they may tell you and that you may tell them in the hearing of your son and your grandson, how I have helped, dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So here we are given another reason, that you may know that I am the Lord, but this is also happening so that Moses and Aaron and the Hebrews can speak about it with future generations. So I'm doing this not just so that I'll show my power to Pharaoh and my power to the world, but I'm doing this so that even around the dinner table, you talk about me. I'm doing this so that you remember me. I'm doing this so that you can tell your children and your grandchildren about how good God is. That we, here as the church, right? we have been grafted in, as the scriptures put it, we've been, we've been added to what God, God is working, grafted into this story, brought in through the blood of Jesus, that we get to speak about the goodness of God and how he saved us, and that this should be a regular part of family life. That God loves us. That he sent Jesus for us. That he has forgiven us of our sins. That we're free in him. That this should be normal for us to talk about, for us to speak about. We were doing highs and lows. We do highs and lows pretty often as a family uh, because we have highs and lows pretty often as a family. We kind of go, what's the best part of your day? What's the worst part of your day? And we do this almost every night of the week before bed. Um, sometimes it's what's the high and low of your trip or what's been the high and low of this week because we get tired or just the week gets crazy. But we generally talk about this. And I was talking to the kids yesterday and I said, do you know why we do this? And, of course, they're like, uh, because, you know, you like to know what's going on or whatever their answer there was. So do you know why we do this? 
So we do this because we want to talk about how God is good in the best moments of our day and in the worst moments of our day, or the best moments of our week and the worst moments of our week. We want to recognize that wherever, wherever we are, whatever we might be feeling, up or down, left or right, whatever's going on, that we can thank God for that. And that we can talk about what's going on. So there's also some emotional intelligence we're trying to develop, right? That's a part of it. We can talk about what's, what we don't like. And we can, we can handle it differently if we remember that the Lord is good or what he's teaching us in those moments. So we try to even do that as a family to say, wherever we are, we want to be able to talk about how the Lord's in it. We want to be able to talk about how he's good and we're still here at the end of the day that might have gone terribly. And you might be mad at me for some decision I made as your dad that you hate. And there's a long list. But we can still stay here and recognize that God is good and we're still here in this moment. And we're still protected. And it's raining outside because it's Texas. And we're okay. And it's hot outside, but we're not. And we can host family and friends and fill this house with people. The Lord is good and he's here. So part of what God is doing, and we'll see this, actually Rock is going to preach on it in two weeks, we'll see this telling of what God did and how God saved in the 10th plague. In fact, the Passover and the festival, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, come together in the life of Israel to remember God saving his people from Egypt. And when we take communion, Jesus takes the elements and he repurposes them. It's no longer about the bringing out of the land of Egypt and and God saving his people geographically and physically and bringing them into the land. It's about Jesus saving a people for himself. It's about his broken body and his shed blood. And so this reminder that we have about the work that God has done to save us from our sins. Verse 3. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they said to him, Thus says the Lord, God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left you after the hail." And they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. And they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and all the Egyptians as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on the earth to this day. Then he turned, that would be Moses and Aaron, they kind of turned together, and went out from Pharaoh. So there's the shot across the bow. Let my people go. You thought the hail was bad. We're going to go ahead and take everything else. Everything else. Pharaoh's servants, who are a little tired of seeing what's going on, they say, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? Moses and Aaron are bad for business. They are bad for business. We're not concerned about their God. We're concerned about our country. And they are not helping anything. So let's get them gone. This is what happens. Moses and Aaron are brought back to Pharaoh. And he said to them, go serve the Lord. But which ones are to go? Moses said, we're all going to go. We're all going to go. Husbands, wives, kids, grandkids, everybody goes. Because this is 
our God. We will go with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said, the Lord be with you if ever I let you go and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go the men among you and serve the Lord, for that's what you're asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. So again, what is Pharaoh doing? Trying to bargain. If he keeps some of them back, well, what happens? Everyone else has to come back. We have to go get our families, our kids, our flocks. So when he says only the men should go, and there's no intent to return, the Lord is freeing his people from the land. And Moses knows this is not what the Lord has said. This is not what he has proclaimed. This is not what he has commanded. So we can't do that. And have you seen the change in Moses? Have you seen the shift that he has made in, in really his, just how he speaks, his confidence in what God is working. So he was the man just a few chapters ago, and now we're coming into probably this happening for weeks or months of plagues. <clears throat> so we're, we're probably, we've probably run through this now that we're in the eighth plague for a while. It's not like eight days. So we've seen this. And Moses started with the, I'm not sure, I don't know if you have the right guy. I don't know how to speak. I can't do this. And even after the first encounter, and it didn't go well, and what's he do? But he goes back to the Lord, and he's like, why did you make me do this, God? Right? He's going back, and he's pleading that God made some kind of mistake. So here we are in the eighth plague that Moses has stood before him. Pharaoh's trying to bargain. Some of us, I bet, would go, that seems like a pretty good deal, honestly. Like all the men going, like that's... That gets us almost all the way, what we were hoping for. That's a pretty significant move. So let's go ahead and like, let's, let's approve it and let's let God work the rest out. But that is not what God had commanded. So, of course, it doesn't work out. <clears throat> so we move right on in to the plague itself. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. So as I said, God was working this earlier It doesn't even seem like, unlike the gnats, it doesn't seem like the locusts were just spontaneously created. They were actually blown in. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been seen before, nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land, so the whole land was darkened, meaning it was just dark everywhere. They ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees, all the hill had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant, a field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses near and said, I've sinned against the Lord your God. You guys know where this is going. Kids, you know where this is going? It doesn't, it doesn't go well. Any time Pharaoh says, oh, I made a mistake, I'm sorry. Like, he never means it. And so this is what he's doing again. I've sinned. I've sinned against the Lord your God. I've sinned against you. Forgive my sin this once and plead with the Lord to only remove this death from me. 
So he went out from Pharaoh, pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Interesting little note. Soon enough, it's not just the locusts that are going to be drowned in the Red Sea, but it is an army and a Pharaoh. So just you know, a preview of coming attractions. Start with locusts, end with Egyptians. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people go. Now, I love, in verse 19, I love that little detail. Not a single locust was left. It wasn't just like most of them left the land. 50%, 70%, 80%, right? Like just enough that it was now bearable. No, not a single one was left. The Lord brought them all, and the Lord removes them all. And interesting, interesting in this detail, and they go to the Red Sea, where they cause damage to no one else. And it's not like there's just you know, billions of locusts around now. They came about, they moved on to the land, they destroyed the land, and then the detail shows us they left the land, but they didn't go anywhere else. This is, this is the, the surgical accuracy with which God can move in this world. Right? We, have, we do a good job of like unintended consequences. We create something and then we have to deal with it. Right? That's like what every movie is about. Every sci-fi movie is like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that this was going to kill me. Right? Like, we create something and now we have problems. The Lord brings something, does precisely what he had intended and when he's done he's done it's not like he's going I don't even know what to do with all these locusts now I don't know where to send them I don't know how to buy like maybe they'll just die their life cycle is not that long so so he doesn't do that he brings them they do their job and they leave but that's our God that's our God He is the God who can say this far and no more. He's the God who stretches out the skies. He is the God who gave everything its boundaries. For us to think that he can't remove a swarm of locusts at the precise moment that he intends, that's not too big. And even then, though, We see in verse 20 that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He would not let the people of Israel go. We haven't spoken a lot about Egyptian deities. But one such deity was Ra or Re, depending on how you want to pronounce it or what, what you're looking up. Often portrayed as a falcon head. A falcon head, of all things. With a sun above it. Now, the picture that I have, I'm not sure if this is Ra or Re. I think it is because it looks like all the other pictures, minus the fact that the sun doesn't have a snake on it. So I was showing it to my friend, uh, my Old Testament friend. I said, who do you think this is? He goes, I think that's Horus. I look up, you know, Egyptian god Horus, and it's the exact same picture, minus the sun over the head. <clears throat> so <clears throat> you will find, he was like, he's like, that's why I don't like Egyptian iconography is because the gods kind of blur together and they do different things and sometimes they're like this and you have, you know, 2,000 plus of them over the course of the country. 
Like, it's just very hard for me to figure out sometimes which one's which. You have to be really good to know which drawing is which God at which time. Because, right, there's Ra and there's Horus, but then in some tellings, they're one. Right, like Horus is the god of the sky, Ra is the god of the sun. And then sometimes, if it's just convenient, they just combine them into one person. And it's like, Ra Ahoretu, right? Like, and so you just kind of put the words together. But this god, be it Horus or Ra, this, this was a big gun. If you're, if you're the god of the sun, and Pharaoh often connected himself to Ra, the power that was there, the sun gives life. I mean, without sun, we die. And so if you're a pagan and you're looking around, you're going, what seems to be the most important thing that I see? How about that? If you're out in it too long, you burn. If you're hidden from it too long, you die. That seems to be important. And so sun worship, worship of the sun god, was an important part of Egyptian life. So what's about to happen? The Lord's going to make the land dark. And it's going to stay that way. We might not think of a big de- that of a big deal because we live with lights. Darkness doesn't matter, and if, we, if lights go out, many people have generators. You can hear them in your neighborhood when lights go out, and you hear, right? Somebody has a generator somewhere. You're like, can I come over? Verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven. Remember, these plagues come on instantaneously. That there may be darkness over the land, a darkness to be felt. A darkness to be felt. You've been there. You can't see a thing. There's no light. And it's deafening. A darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. So that you know it's not just some weather anomaly. Three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. So the people of Israel can see. The Egyptians cannot. You see parallels here, right? Right? Those who belong to the Lord, the Lord is our light. Even in the book of Revelation, in the new heaven and the new earth, it says the Lord will be their light. So the Egyptians can see nothing. Now you have to think about this because we've grown up in a world where lights are common. When there are no lights, no stars, no sun, no moon, no flames, when there is nothing, you cannot function. That's why it says no one went anywhere, right? Because you can't. You walk down the road, you fall into a ditch, and you die because you don't know where you are. You guys know how disorienting it is not to be able to see? I mean, it's disorienting to just not be able to see out of one eye, and you lose all your depth perception, and you're running into things. To have no ability to see for three days, right after all your crops get knocked out, so not only is the locust destroyed them, but any chance that anything's growing back, nope. Nope. 
Not at all. But God provides for the Israelites. So Pharaoh called to Moses and Aaron and said, Go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. So we have to be ready to sacrifice. We have to be ready to do everything. We can't leave our cattle behind. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses says, as you say, I'll never see your face again. This is going to get us right up to, right? We are on the doorstep of the 10th plague. On the doorstep of the 10th plague. I will say, I don't know if it's going to get addressed as much when we do this specific part in a few weeks. But it, their passage in the 10th plague, when the Israelites are summoned to go, they go, well, did Moses and Aaron see Pharaoh again? Uh, my, my response to that is, I think Pharaoh sent people to Moses and Aaron and said, hey, Pharaoh said, get out. Like, leave the land in the 10th plague. I don't think that Moses and Aaron had a journey anywhere. After those firstborn die, you get that message to him as fast as you can. Everyone's dealing with their dead. So I, that's why I think that when Moses says, I won't see your face again, that's what he means. I won't see your face again. So I think Pharaoh sent to Moses and Aaron, after the firstborn die, and said, Pharaoh has a message, get out. Because he's Pharaoh. He can send, and he can declare, and he does. So all of this has been setting up this final showdown, which we'll come to in a few weeks. However, I want to remind us of just a few simple truths And one question after each one. The plagues exist to encourage proclamation of God's name in all the world. God's focus is eternal. My question for you is where is yours? With what are you concerned? Secondly, the plagues also exist to encourage the proclamation of God's faithfulness to future generations. So my question to you is, are you talking with your family about God's faithfulness? Is it common to speak of the Lord in your home, or is it uncommon? Because this is a structure God uses to proclaim his name. To proclaim his faithfulness, to speak of his salvation, to speak of his works. So does this happen? Finally, the plagues put an assault on idolatry. My question to you is, are you worshiping something lesser than the Lord? Are you giving your heart, your energy, your money, your attention to something less than the Lord? If so, turn. Because if you haven't seen it yet, you'll see it soon that no one is a match for the Lord. But if you're with him, you're his. And you're protected 
and you're preserved and you're saved.